All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined uh, by repeat guests Brent Johnson and Larry Leppard. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Um, so I think we want this episode to be pretty firmly squared on the dollar, right? And maybe if I could use a bit of a colorful analogy from a, a popular show, we want to see if it ends in fire or if it ends in ice, uh, right? So uh, I'd love to, uh, you know, this all kind of starts with, um, let's start with a very basic defin- definition of where the dollar belongs in this kind of world of global finance, right? The very unique role that it has as the global reserve currency. And then I want to get your perspectives on the end game eventually and how you see the system either breaking or maybe continuing, right? But but what what that kind of change looks like. So uh, maybe Brent, I can call on you first yeah. um, to kind of just describe, we hear this a lot, like the global reserve currency. What is the unique role of the dollar in global finance? Well, I guess the best way for, for, for me to explain it is that what the global reserve currency means. And what, what that means is that the whole world uses the same currency, you know, in general. Now there's obviously some exceptions, but in general, the whole world uses the same currency to transact in, to save in, um, to borrow in. Um, basically, the whole system is levered off of U.S. dollars. Now, there's a number of smaller systems that are kind of hooked to the main system, and that's the euro and the yen and the real and the, you know, florent and all peso and all that kind of stuff. But if you look at the fundamental, you know, design of it, it's all levered off of dollars, and and so. It's really, really important, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better word, you know, whether you like it or not, whether you like the design of the system or not, in my opinion, it's just really important to understand how the system is and, and, and in my opinion, what will be done to keep it that way. Um, and I probably, you know, think that more is going to be done to keep it that way. And I, my guess is that Larry and some other people think that a lot is being done to change it. And they perhaps think that it has a higher chance of success than I do. But I think we all understand that it's extremely important. And it's the it's this Frankenstein system that they've built that is causing, you know, the wild volatility, uh, the inequality, uh, the social unrest, all this kind of stuff. Right. So I. I I, we probably don't disagree a whole lot on the problems. We just maybe disagree on the path and the destination. I, I think that's accurate. I mean, my my observation is, and I, I said to before we started, I said to Brent, that, you know, I'm really impressed with how early he was and how right he's been about the dollar milkshake theory. I mean, it really is a global wrecking ball and, and you know, the whole euro dollar market and mm-hmm. uh, the way that that's allowed them to kind of get around this terrific dilemma for so many years. Um, you know, it's a, it's a system that, uh, you know, it is the cleanest, dirty shirt. Um, and so, you know, no doubt it, it, it's a system that is broken. And in my view, it's broken. Uh, in my view, it's, it's reaching the natural end of its life. Um, and I think again, yeah, as Brent mentioned, the difference is probably how and when does that occur? And, you know, I tend to focus because I'm a sound money guy. I tend to focus about the, you know, on the issue of the dollar versus non-state currencies. And I think Brent tends to focus on the dollar and the system and versus the other major currencies, all of which are very, you know, weak compared to the dollar. I mean, we were commenting earlier, the yen and the, and the euro are in deep shit <laughs> and, and it's getting worse. Um, and, yeah. you know, what I, what, I, what I would say is, okay, great. That's all mm-hmm. true at one level. I go one level higher. And that is that all these fiats are about to be, quote unquote, about to be, not entirely yet because the prices don't reflect it, but they're about to be in deep shit regarding non-state money. And of course, the two that uh, I point to there would be gold and silver and Bitcoin, or the three that I point to would be those three alternatives. Because I think as the the current fiat system continues to demonstrate its weaknesses, you know, people are going to move to alternatives. And I mean, we've seen Russia kind of start to do that and they kind of tried to go to a commodity standard. I mean, they don't really have it worked out yet and you can't really go buy rubles easily or exchange and rule. you know, they say the rule is backed by gold, but there's no exchangeability. So it's all kind of messy. And they're talking about trying to do some sort of a, a BRICS currency in a basket, which God knows how the hell that's going to work. But, <laughs> but the point is that I think a lot of people around the world see that the system isn't working right. And in my view, that portends some serious change and probably sooner than we think, I'm sure in my mind, probably sooner than Brent thinks. He probably thinks the existing system lasts a bit longer. 
Yeah. Um, maybe we can uh, talk in, in more specifics about the problem when the dollar appreciates, right? Because I think we all kind of intuitively understand why a weak dollar is bad, right? We're experiencing nine-handle inflation prints, right? In the US, yeah. everyone kind of intuitively understands, oh, I have to pay, you know, my dollar goes less. But talk me through the perspective of why is it such a problem when the dollar actually strengthens? And maybe if we could talk about the example of like an emerging market and the particular stress that they feel in the world of a strong dollar. Well, this is, this is a perfect time um, to talk about that because the problems are manifesting right now. And I can give you several real world examples where this is a big problem. Um, mm. The first problem is that because the dollar is the world reserve currency, it kind of by demand, by default, is the most demanded currency in the world, at least right now. Now, can that change? Sure, it can change. But as of right now, the dollar out of all the choices is the most demanded fiat currency out there. Um, and because there's great demand for that currency, if you decide to borrow in that currency, you get a better rate. So in other words, if, if you live in Sri Lanka and you, let's say you manufacture shoes and you want to borrow a million bucks so you can make more shoes, you can go out and you can borrow in dollars, you can borrow in local, local currency. If you borrow in dollars, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to get a much lower rate because there's going to be a much higher demand for that dollar bond than the local currency bond or, or however you take it out. Um, and then the other thing is now your revenues, because you're probably selling those shoes into the United States, um, your revenues are now going to match your liabilities. So that's, first of all, that's the reason that someone in Sri Lanka would take dollar debt out to begin with, rather than just losing local currency. That works great if the local currency then strengthens versus the dollar because now they can pay that debt off easier, right? Um, it's like if you short a stock and it goes down, you make money. It's kind of like you're shorting the dollar. It goes down, you make money. The problem is, is if the dollar goes up instead of going down because if the dollar goes up, now it's harder to pay off. So let's say you borrowed at 5% and now the dollar goes up 5%. Now it costs you 10% that year rather than 5 So So your, your, your cost of funding essentially doubled. Um, so, so that's the first problem. Um, the next problem becomes is that many other goods and services are transacted in dollars, most importantly, food and energy. So if you live in a place like Turkey or we can still use Sri Lanka or we can use Ecuador as examples. Um, Egypt is another good example where they have to import. Turkey is another good example. And this is happening in all these places where they have to import energy and food. And now we're in an, we've had inflationary pressures, right? So not only has the price of food and the price of energy risen, let's just call it 10 or 15, 20%, whatever the number is, but then the dollar has gotten stronger as well. So you're getting hit twice. You're not only feeling the pain of the inflation or the inflationary pressures or, or the rise in prices, but now you have to transact in a currency that has gone up 10% or 15% or 8%, whatever the number is, right? And so, and so now in that environment that we're in, we have slowing global growth. So the top line revenue, this is think of it as a company, right? Your top line revenue is falling, your revenues are falling, but your input costs to make whatever it is you're making have gone up, you know? And so your profit margin is getting squeezed. And that's that's the worst of all worlds, right? Like if just your revenue is down, well, then maybe you could figure out a way to get some more revenue and at least your costs weren't rising. But if your costs are rising too, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And so that, that that's literally what is happening right now. Um, it's happening to many countries around the world, Sri Lanka, El Salvador, Ecuador. It's happening in Peru to a certain extent, Egypt to a certain extent, Turkey to a certain extent. And so it... The system is not designed, the, when I say the system, the monetary system is not designed for a continually strengthening dollar. Uh, based on the design of the system, it's a debt-based system. Money gets loaned into existence. So for the system to survive, it has to grow. If the system starts to shrink, it collapses. That's why they always get the bailouts, right? <laughs> to, mm. to let it continue growing. Um, the problem is that if you have a strengthening currency, it's hard for the system to keep growing, right? That makes it harder to take out new debt. It makes it harder to roll that debt over. It makes it harder for it to grow. And so 
you know, the system as it's designed, you kind of need the global reserve currency as a general rule to weaken over time. You know, it doesn't have to weaken every year, but it needs to. For, well, yeah. At least to not appreciate. I mean, it's this is <laughs> yeah, this is exactly. dilemma, exactly. which is the the entire world is running on a dollar based standard. And so they need dollars. They're short yep. dollars. They've borrowed in dollars. They need dollars to buy energy with. I mean, and, and Brent's point about the inflation is really true. I mean, think about how bad inflation is in the United States. It's been bad, but it's even it's doubly or triply bad in these these developing countries because they need to get dollars, which are more expensive to buy their energy with and so forth. So, you know, basically, um, you know, when you when you are the global reserve currency, you need to run twin deficits in order to keep enough dollars flowing into the system so that the dollar doesn't get strong and the system doesn't blow up. And as Brenda so accurately pointed out in the past, when it blows up, it starts blowing up at the periphery, not at the core, but it moves to the core. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, it does. And, and, and it can move very quickly yeah. to the core. It, I, I, I don't deny that one bit. Uh, it's just, it's just very, very, I'm not going to say it couldn't start in the core. It just, it's unlikely, but the, you know, so the question becomes, I mean, to a, you know, to somebody like a Jay Powell, um, you know, how much of this periphery blowing up is he willing to watch happen? You know, cause he's not dumb and he's not unaware of what's going on here before he starts to think, okay, that's enough, you know, time for another Shanghai Accord, we got to, we got to, you know, we got to weaken this dollar or, you know, the world's going to really uh, hate us and, and, and go into a pretty shitty place. Um, and, and, and one would argue we're already so, starting to see signs of that, but, but whether we're there or not is open for debate. Guys, maybe we could, um, I re- cause I really like this analogy of things kind of starting at the periphery and then yes. moving closer and closer inwards. So maybe if along the periphery, we have yes. emerging markets like Sri Lanka, Argentina, whatever, those are where the first signs of stress emerge. Then like, maybe let's go one layer in actually to like more developed economies like Europe and Japan, which are under tremendous amount of stress right now. Right. right? So we all are watching the dollar uh, basically reach parity with the Euro, right? The yen is having in the middle of a historic sell-off. I think that's actually like one layer inward, right? So can you guys kind of walk me through why those are such troubling? Yeah, G, G7, G7 countries aren't aren't like far out periphery. I mean, these are these are big, real countries. And we were talking about this before the show started. I mean, you know, what's going on in Japan and Europe, in Europe is is really right. quite quite shocking and, and very serious. I mean, it, it's uh, it's gonna it's gonna create a problem, and um, you know we've seen how, how far J- Japan has had to go in terms of blowing out their printing to t- try and maintain their yield peg. And of course, you know I found it amazing that you know the euro um, authorities you know just went up fifty basis points to zero, which is kind of like really, <laughs> and that's that's massive tightening and. And, um, you know, and, and they're going to they're still talking about unlimited QE. So, you know, as we've seen in the past, this whole QE thing, I mean, the U.S. is not doing QE right now. In fact, it's arguably tapering. Uh, balance sheet hasn't quite shown it yet, but there's a lag. And so, um, you know, maybe these other places are printing as, you know, as a way of trying to fill in that gap. But it's going to create a, It's going to create a problem. I don't know, how do you see it, Brent? Yeah, I mean, and I, the, the way I kind of pointed out, and part of the reason that I have kind of pounded the table as hard as I have on the idea the dollar is going to get stronger rather than weaker is the poor positions that Japan and Europe have placed themselves in. Um, you know, like it or not, fiat trades relative to each other, right? And so a big part of the dollar thesis for me, at least, has been the potential uh, collapse or implosion. I mean, those are kind of extreme words, um, but let's just call it recession to keep it polite <laughs> of, of, of Japan and, and, and Europe. Um, yeah. You know, they're in really bad shape because they import most of their energy, right? And again, we've got this situation where, you know, energy is in limited supply. The people that do have it now are not best friends with Europe, so to speak, right? Or Japan. Um, you know, the, the, we've got in global inflationary pressures. We've got slowing global growth. So it's really hard for Japan and Europe to raise rates. 
But at the same time, they've got the inflationary pressures and the energy prices are rising. So not only have energy prices gone up, but their currency's fallen 10 or 20 percent, depending on which one you're talking about. And so you're right back to the same thing. They're getting squeezed from both sides. And, you know, this 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 is where I kind of start to and this relates to what Larry was saying a minute ago about Jay Powell. And does he really want this? And, you know, would he maybe have to, to turn um you know, turn and pivot. And so my thoughts on it are that these people are so arrogant <laughs> that they think that they can turn on a pivot and so, and that they can just do whatever they want and that the market will listen to them. And so I, I don't disagree with Larry's assessment. Um, but what I, what, what I would say is that I think, and I don't have any proof of this, by the way, I've mentioned this before, but it, it just seems like it's, if, if, if I thought like they did, and I was a psychopath. This is what I would do. But I would basically, <laughs> I would basically, if I was in the same position as the Fed and the U.S. Treasury is, and we now have this bifurcated world where it's the East versus the West, you know, Russia versus the Europe or China versus the United States. However, you want to define this now bifurcated world rather than globalized world. Um, you know, I would be looking to shore up my my side of the fence and, you know, and, and, and strengthen my, my, my allies or, or strengthen the ties with my allies. And not only that, but to um, anybody who's sitting on the fence, pull them over to my side of the fence. And the one way that you get them to do what they might not otherwise want to do is put them in a very vulnerable position by which you're the only one that can save them. So, what I mean by that is that I think the dollar is being used as a geopolitical tool just as much as it is an economic tool. And I've got a couple of reasons that I think that's the case. Number one, again, I think, you know, I think we are going towards a deglobalized world. I think for 20, 30 years we had globalization and I think that the pendulum is now swinging the other way. Um, I think that uh, the U.S. is looking to, to shore up its side of the fence and I think by having a dollar shortage and putting any of these emerging markets or developing countries who perhaps would like to go with the other side rather than us for whatever reason, if we can put them in a position where they need dollars to fund their governments or their industries or whatever it is, and we're the only one that can give them dollars, well, then we can say, okay, we'll give you these dollars, but they're going to come with these strings attached. Okay. Um, and, and, and after in May 2020, we just gave dollars to everybody because we had to, right? We extended all these swap lines, flooded with liquidity. There weren't many strings attached in May 2020 or March 2020. I think from now on, there's going to be strings attached with any of these, you know, extending of swap lines or anything. Uh, the other reason I think this is happening or that, or that I think that Yellen and, and Powell are in kind of concert strengthening the dollar on purpose and putting um, these countries in this position is what I think many people are kind of waking up to relative currency moves this year. But for the last 20 years, people probably didn't pay much attention to currencies, right? Mm. Um, but now because currencies are actually moving, because you know, typically, yeah. you know, a movement of one <laughs> or 2% amongst major currencies, that's a fairly big move, right? For years, that was the case. But now, in the last six months, the euro is down 10% and the, the, the yen is down 15 or 20%. Those are enormous moves, enormous moves for major currencies, especially among allies, right? So I don't think that there's any way that the yen... Now, I think the yen was done on purpose. I think Japan, I think Japan purposely wanted to weaken the yen. And I think the Fed and the Treasury signed off on it because they could use that as a political geopolitical tool to, to, hurt, to hurt China. A, a, a weakening yen, I, I can explain it, but it, it causes problems for China. Um, but for a, for a major currency to move 20% and the, and the Fed not come out and say, hey, what's going on here? Slow down a little bit. You know, this is currency manipulation. For there not to be anything spoken or even hinted mm -hmm. at, to me, that's the silence speaks volumes. I, I think that the Fed would have had to have signed off on a move of that magnitude. Um, now, whether they want it to continue going that way, I, I don't know. But I, I can't imagine that that the, the yen was allowed to depreciate 20 percent and the Fed wasn't aware of, uh, of, of that potential effect. 
Um, and then kind of, kind of a similar thing with Europe. Anyway. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with that entire line of thinking. And I would only just take it one step further, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, Brent. Um, the potential, though, in, in trying to push these people hard and, and get them to do what we want them to do. I mean, well, one, I mean, if we start putting out swap lines to the euro and, and we start doing, you know, QE of their bonds, right? I mean, that's going to potentially be a pretty politically dangerous thing to do. The second thing related to that is if we push them hard enough, and, and, and as you know, our friend Lucas pointed this out, you know, who's to say that they don't start going to the people who are selling them the things they need, the energy, and saying, can we pay in yen, you know, or can we pay in euros? I mean, certainly to a degree, the Germans have been forced to effectively pay in euros by swapping euros for rubles to get their gas. And so, you know, um, yeah, we can, we can swing this big dollar around and try and knock people out, but we're also, um, you know, it, it's got the potential to create you know, people, people, well, as an example, look at India, right? I mean, India was maybe a swing case, could have gone either way and kind of said, no, nope, you know, guess what? Uh, we're, we, we need that oil that Russia's got. We're going to keep, we're in. guess what? They've decided to take rupees. And so we're going to sit and we're So I think, you know what? I think, I think that's a perfect example. Yeah. But one, one thing I would point out is look and see what's happening to the rupee. I, I haven't watched actually. Tell me what's going on. It's, 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 it's is getting it really? killed. Okay. So, and so, 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 so I'm, I think you're absolutely right. I think they were on yeah. the margin and they went with rupees or they went with rubles, right? We're going to, yeah. we're going to partner with Russia or, or to a certain extent, maybe they didn't, but, but, and I think the U S is just like, well, okay, you want to go with them? Mm. Let's see how you do. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. I just think that I think, there is no, and, and Larry, Larry's pointed this out. Luke has pointed this out. Lynn Alden, a lot of people have been pointing, pointing this out that there are efforts being made to, you know, have these bilateral trade agreements or come up with a new BRICS currency or, yeah. or some alternative to the dollar. So I don't deny that it's, it's wanted or that it's being tried. Uh, I think the performance year to date shows how difficult it is to do that. Be. And you can just go through currency after currency. Um, Russia's a little different. Um, they actually have a few cards that a lot of other countries don't have. Uh, but even Russia, I would argue, is not quite in as good a shape as, as many people otherwise think they are. But I, I give Putin credit. He's a smart guy. He's played his cards about as well as he could play them. And, you know, he's so far, you know, doing pretty well. I mean, th this is something that has, uh, this has been a, a problem that's been addressed in the past, right? Like this is not the, t the first time that a strong dollar um, has needed to be dealt with, right? There was the, the Plaza Accord pretty famously back in the 80s, right? And then there was, I think, another, yep. like the Louvre Accord a couple of years after that. And there have been these kind of meetings, right? Whenever there's a very strong dollar in the world, kind of the G5 or the G7 will meet up and say, hey guys, what are we going to do about this? Um, so we- Shanghai 2016, yeah. Yeah. And we, we've kind of talked about like the very periphery, right? Like kind of the emerging markets of the world, but then that kind of goes in further. And then we've got like big developed economies like Europe and Japan. I want to talk about the central tension um, uh, that the US is dealing with in terms of being basically an exporter of the dollar. Yeah. There was an analogy that I heard yeah. a while ago. It's yeah. like, do you guys know Dutch disease, like resource curse? That idea that when, whenever there's a, a resource found in a country, this is the Dutch when they found gas, it was very good for the people who um, found the gas basically and started to export it. But then the currency gets very strong. It's hard for the rest of the country to 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 export their goods. Um, and so what happens is it ends up being kind of a curse right. because the people who are close to that exporting good do very well. The rest of the country suffers. There was a really interesting analogy of if you actually think about the dollar as a commodity that we need to export to the rest of the world, right? The world needs to transact in dollars. It's on the Federal Reserve and the Treasury combined to supply dollars to the rest of the world. And that's that has some good uh, political effect, right? Like I agree, Brent, that we're using this as a big stick, right, in geopolitics to kind of whack people with, and it's limited limited efficacy, I think there. But there's but there's a there's a price to pay internally, right? And Luke Roman kind of talks about this about the the hollowing out of the industrial base of the United States. But what are some of those like negative consequences at home, right? Like what are we facing with as citizens of the United States? Um, of, of being the exporter of the reserve currency. Are there any, are there any negative side effects for, for a citizen of the U.S.? I would tee that up to you guys. 
I'll take that. I mean, you know, yeah, we live beyond our means, but for one, you know, we, we, we need to run deficits and, and, you know, we, we've run a persistent trade deficit for years and years and years. It's only gotten worse. And our net foreign investment position is very, very negative. Um, and so, you know, it's, we, we, the dollar gives us an exorbitant privilege, right? I mean, we, we live better than we should, better than our productivity and, and value added would allow us to live if we did not have this reserve currency, which is why obviously the politicians are going to do everything they can to hang on to that reserve currency status. But um, that in and of itself is not, you know, it's not fair and it's not sustainable. And I would submit it's not sustainable long term because as you're starting to see, things are breaking everywhere. And I think are only only destined to break more and more. And to me, the ultimate break, we haven't really talked about it yet because we've been talking about the currency piece of it as it is relative to all these different countries. I think the real the real break is, in my opinion, going to occur when gold goes through 2050 with authority, which is kind of a triple top. It was there in 2011. It was there in 2020 and it was there earlier this year. And so that, you know, when we take that out, every algo in the world is going to go, oh, all time highs in gold. You know, I know what that means. The dollar is slipping. And then related to that, because it's it's a little noisier and it's but it's a you know it's a loud fire alarm as Luke says, you know when Bitcoin starts to recover and, and goes out and takes out its old time high, which I think it will eventually as well. So, um, you know the 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 cost the cost to us eventually is that the system will self destruct, and I I think Brent and I disagree on the timing of that. But I don't think, Brent, you disagree that ultimately it will self-destruct, right? Yeah, if, if left to run its course, um, the system will fall. It's just math. It just, it will. Um, it's question think, how That's long. what I was going to say. I, w- I would think you, listeners would probably be interested here. I mean, I put that in under five years, almost 100% certainty and likely in, you know, even sooner than that. And I'm sure you disagree. I'd be curious how you see it as probabilities and, you know, timing. Well, I think I, th- I think if there was no intervention from monetary authorities, it would come down in less than okay. five years. You think they have tools that can slow it down? Uh, I think they have tools that they can extend the game. Um, and I think that they will. I think they oh, will there's no doubt they're the going to try. Um, we know that. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, issue yeah. doesn't yeah. work. And, and par- here's the thing is the whole system coming down is literally part of my whole thesis. Like, you know, the, and this is the point that I try to make to people is that the de-dollarization process is not necessarily negative for the price of the dollar, right? That process by which the world leaves the dollar system and moves to the next one is volatile and chaotic and painful. You pick your adjective, right? But what it is not is calm. <laughs> right. You know, pick any adjective you want except for right. calm, unless unless it's done in an organized fashion that the whole world agrees to, like a plaza right. accord. Okay, so I don't deny that that's possible. Uh, but any other method that, that that this change happens, I think, is very chaotic, and I think any kind of chaos causes the dollar to go up in price. Now that it may, and and then my my point has always been, it will get so strong that it will then either collapse or it will have to be artificially written down again, like a plaza accord or a reset or whatever it is. But it's the pain of it going higher that causes the world to come together for the reset. And the reason I finally, it took me a long time to come to this argument. And first, guys, I may end up being wrong about this, right? The last year I looked pretty smart, but two years ago, I didn't look too smart, right? And so we'll see. But every time I've seen the dollar fall for the last 10 years, every time I've seen the dollar fall, I have never seen a company, a country, or whoever it is use that as an opportunity to get out from underneath their dollar debt. They have usually doubled down and issued more dollar debt or borrowed more in dollars or become more more dependent on the dollar. Russia is, is the only exception. And I don't think Russia can on their own take on the US. Now, that may be a controversial statement, but we probably don't have time to get into that today, but I stand by that. Um, and so until the whole world does it, right, if we, in other words, in 2020, the, the, the Fed flooded the world with, you know, dollar liquidity, swap lines, whatever you want to call it. And 
rather than use that, rather than saying, holy cow, that strong dollar really messed us up in early March. We need to get away from the dollar. Rather than doing that, they doubled down. They, they issued more dollar bonds. They borrowed more in dollars. They traded more in dollars. And so, you know, there's more dollar debt today than there was two years ago. Um, and, and until I see that changing, I, I just think the dollar ends up getting stronger. Um, well, and that's anyway. the nature of a credit-based system, though. I mean, it, it, every, every time yes. you have a contraction in the credit-based system, you know, we're, we're, in, we're, we're locked into this inflate or die, you know, and, and, and inflating by yeah. definition means debasing. I mean, and so, you know, the, what I'm waiting for is for the debasement to become obvious enough to the masses that, and to everyone else that the dollar really is only a trading vehicle in a unit account. I, I don't think, I can't imagine that there are many intelligent people who still think it's a store of value, but I suppose there's some. Well, so I think there's, there's an interesting part of this too, is that, um, Trying to decide, not trying to decide. Maybe it's choosing your definition is the right way because so many different people have different opinions of what money right. is, right? Or a recession is, apparently. <laughs> or, or what a recession <laughs> is, right? Defined. Exactly. And so many people, many people, the sound money advocates, of which I am one, I would prefer that we had a sound money system. I think it's very unlikely we do. But, you know. Would I prefer it? Sure, I would prefer that. Um, but so the sound money people mm. would state that money should be a store of value. And there's many sources you could go back to say that that's what money mm. should be. Um, but I think the other side, whether you want to label them the Keynesians or the MMTers or how, you know, monarchies, whoever, who the kings, the queens, you know, the governors, the people who run the, the run the system may say, I never said it should be a store value. I just said, this is what you need to pay me your taxes in, right. you know? And so, you know, and whoever's in charge maybe gets to make the determination of whether money is a, is a store of value or not. Now I tend to agree with Larry that gold is an extremely great store of value over, over longer periods of time. And I think everybody should own gold. Um, but that doesn't mean that the powers that be are going to agree that money should be a store of value. Um, and so I think that's that's probably why I think this is going to take a little longer. Um, and, and this is this is there's been a little bit of a progression over the last couple of years regarding the dollar. And what I mean by that is, um, well, Larry can tell me whether he agrees with this or not, because maybe he doesn't. But, you know, two years ago in the summer of 2020, after the dollar had started to fall after the big spike, um, and I, and I kind of maintained that, guys, we're just kicking the can down the road. It's not going to be long before the dollar's high again. You know, everybody said, the, 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 and, and, and I've always said DXY is going to go a lot higher. And people would say the DXY is not going higher. Well, now the DXY is a lot higher. And so now it's gone from, well, the DXY is not going high. The DXY may be going higher, but the dollar's really not going higher, right? So they, they've changed their tune from the DXY is never going to go higher to now it's, well, yeah, the DXY is, but it's only relative to other fiat. It's still losing purchasing power. And I will, okay, true. But, and so then I, then the argument will become, so I don't really need to worry about the DXY going higher um, because it's still losing versus real things. Okay, true so far. Maybe that will continue, maybe it won't. But the problem with thinking that that is a certainty and that you don't need to worry about fiat versus fiat is we go back to the whole design of the system. Right. If we get into a deleveraging environment, so a year ago, everybody was absolutely certain that the government would never stop printing money, they would never stop sending checks and they would never raise interest right. rates. Now we fast forward a year, the checks are no longer coming. They've started to raise interest rates and they may even sell some bonds, we'll see, right? But the point is, is that the certainty that many people had a year ago is now gone and the exact opposite is happening. And so the problem is, is now if we get into another situation where the DXY, however you want to define the dollar, starts to rise versus other currencies, you can get into one of these credit deleveraging events, like Larry has pointed out. And in that environment, people start going bankrupt, right? You start getting credit contractions, you're getting bankruptcies, you get delinquencies, you get defaults. And in that environment, you just get a liquidating market, just like March of 2020. And if you go back and you look at March of 2020, everything went down. Bonds went down, 
commodities went down, gold went down, stocks went down, you know, wheat went down, everything went down. So it's not like you, my, my point is not that you should become a dollar bull. My point is not that you should go sell your gold. My point is that relative, when you're talking about the dollar, relative currency levels matter. If you're talking about the level of the Australian dollar versus the Kiwi dollar, maybe it doesn't matter. If you're talking about the Euro versus the Yen, maybe it doesn't matter that much. But when you're talking about the relative level of the dollar versus a currency cross, it matters a lot. And and you don't just get to like check out because you happen to think that fiat currency loses value over time. And so I, I would just warn people. Absolutely. That- I mean, it, it, look, the, the purchasing, it's, it's entirely possible that in a depressionary environment, the purchasing power of the dollar goes up. I mean, I, I know the stories of my yeah. grandparents in the 30s. My grandfather was trying to buy a house for 30 or 40,000 in the 20s, and he ended up buying it for 7,000 in 1933. I mean, you know, it had lost a huge yeah. amount of its value. Same house. And so in a depression, which is what the alternative out and out credit collapse is, the price of absolutely everything will fall because nobody, I mean, I remember my grandparents telling me that, I said, well, why did you buy all these things? Because they were cheap. He said, because we didn't have any money. Nobody had any money. Money was scarce as could possibly be. You couldn't get money. You couldn't get credit. You couldn't get anything. Everyone was scrambling to pay back debts. The only thing I, you know, when my investors say, well, gosh, uh, given all that, Larry, why are we in gold? And I just say, well, here's here's the thing to think about. In a depressionary situation, you want to have cash, right? So cash dollars are good. And think of gold as cash that you can't print. And so that's why you want to have gold. You know, it is a form of cash. It's liquid. You can sell it every single day, plenty of places. There's no problem there. It doesn't, it's unencumbered. You know, there's no counterparty and, and there's no management team. There's no government that can print it to access. So so gold is your is your deflationary bet as well, and of course the gold stocks did extremely well in the '30s. So, so yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. look, it's extremely tricky. And as we said before, this whole thing started. I mean, I don't know how anybody is doing business in this kind of a climate where, you know, we've got, you know, seriously. I mean, we had the party to end all parties going on six months ago. Houses were getting yeah. you know jump bid, and it was just nuts. I mean, cryptos were going bananas. The whole I mean, there's just an orgy of speculation and the Fed pretended not to see it. And then suddenly they woke up and said, oh, you know what? We blew it. Transitory is not real. You know, we're, we're not only going to slam on the brakes. We're going to increase rates at the fastest rate. We're going to stop printing and we're going to let our balance sheet. I mean, it's oh, my God. It, you know, it's a 180 degree turn. And I mean, it's like most of us have hit the windshield. You know, I mean, they, they hit the brakes so hard that the the world economy has hit the windshield. And so. You know, what they're going to do next, who the hell knows? But, I mean, I feel like we've got these, you know, I don't think they're benevolent. And I think, Brent, you alluded to this earlier. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, this is the other thing. This is, and we don't need to, well, we can if you want to. Um, We haven't really touched on crypto. Yeah, right. And one of the, one of my points has always been to those in crypto who said, to me that Bitcoin will absolutely win. The dollar has no chance. I would, and they would say, I'm crazy for betting that, you know, the US can outlast Bitcoin or whatever it is. And my, who knows, maybe Bitcoin will outlast the dollar. But, you know, they would tell me that the dollar was a very immoral system run by psychopaths who are hell bent on destruction and whatever, however, you know, you know the story. And then my comment has always been to them that, okay, so you think these people who were smart enough to design a system that enslaved the whole world and would literally use wars and famine to, you know, to get there, to meet their goals, you think they are now just going to roll over and let all you 22-year-old crypto guys take over? (laughs) Of course they're not. Of course they're going to fight back. And they will fight back with every tool that they have. And those tools include nuclear weapons. So, and I'm not saying we're going to a nuclear war. My, but my point is, is that if you think that the system is that the U.S. is the evil empire, then by God, you better expect them to act like Darth Vader. Absolutely. Right. They're, they're not just going to lay down. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, 6102, they grabbed the gold. I mean, in 2008, I was short the financials. They changed the rules. 
you know, I lost a lot of money. I yeah. mean, yeah, no, there's no, there's no doubt that they are going to try and do a lot of things, um, you know, to defend their privilege. There, there's no doubt about that. I, I should make this point, and I know Larry agrees with this, is I think there's a lot of people either on Twitter or watch these podcasts or, you know, go to conferences and listen to us talk. And I think they probably think that a lot of us hate each other. <laughs> Like, like Larry's, Larry's, a, Larry's a friend of mine. I, 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 Larry and I could ride in a car and disagree for three hours and still go have a beer. Absolutely. At the totally fine. Absolutely. Right. And so, but, but when you see us push back and forth on mm-hmm. Twitter, I'm not doing it to try to convince Larry and Larry's not doing it to try to convince me. We're doing it for those who are following along, trying to learn. Right. That's the whole point of the back. Now, don't get me wrong. We're trying to learn as well. But it, but it, but it's as much for the audience as it is for us, yeah. right? And and one of the things that uh, that I get a lot of pushback on is that the rest of the world is sick and tired of the U.S. being the bully. Um, they don't want to listen to the U.S. anymore. They don't want to go their way. They want to do their own thing. They want to get away from it. Uh, and, and my point has always been: you're absolutely right. But very few people, very, very few people are actually have the guts to walk up and punch the bully in the nose. Right. And and, and a, part of the, mm-hmm. I, I kind of laugh about this because everybody thinks they're Braveheart. Right. And they're just going to, you know, they're going to get sacrificed and they're going to get their guts spilled open and they're just going right. to yell freedom, you know, and, and they're not going to give in, you know, you, you you know, 12 words, I'm never going to give you my 12 words. You know, you got a gun to my head and you, you can't get my keys to my my token. And I'm like, are you crazy? Of course you're going to give them the 12 words. Or, or 99% of people are going to give them the 12 words. Um, and so, you know, if, if everybody was Braveheart, governments yeah. wouldn't exist in the first place. But they do exist. And the reason they exist is most people back down to the bully. And so... My, my point with all of this is when the U.S. puts pressure on other governments, usually, not always, usually those governments relent and say, OK, because they don't want to have a war with the United States. Now, I'm not saying that's always going to happen. And I'm not saying the U.S. can't be defeated. And I'm not saying the U.S. empire won't fall. I'm just kind of explaining the way it typically works. So to go all in on the fact that the U.S. empire is going to crumble tomorrow, I think is unwise. And that's why I push back as hard as I do um, just to mm. kind of bring some, I don't know, rationality back to the whole argument. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, and, and, and look, those of us, those of us who are in the sound money community, I mean, you know, we, yeah. we equally, we, we equally push and extend in the other direction. I mean, you know, I, I put out yeah. the hyperinflation chart of the day. I mean, we don't have anything close to hyperinflation. Point is, though, right. that we do have inflation right. that's serious enough that serious enough that, and if if the policies had continued the way they were, you know, when we when we had COVID, uh, we were headed in that direction for sure. And it's not inconceivable that we could get back on that path at some point in time. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the policymakers in charge, and I think the challenge for everybody who's investing and managing their own capital is to try and figure out what the odds are of, you know, the, the rate of yeah. slope in all these different events. I mean, I think we can all agree that debasement is going to continue to occur. That's the nature of a fiat system. Well, it always has, right? It always, it always has. So, so, so the idea... Yeah, this the is I, the rate. The yeah. rate, the, the, you know, the development, yeah. the timing, et cetera. Yeah, and, and that's always been the issue. And, yeah. um, you know, having said that, the, you know, I, it's one of the people, I'm trying to remember who said this, but I thought it was a good, I think it was Preston Fish who said, you know, the contractions are getting closer. <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe we're getting closer yeah. to having a baby here because, you know, things blew up in 2008 yeah. and then they managed to calm it down for quite some time, you know, until 2018. Or, I mean, I guess there were bumps all along the way, but, you know, and there's a 2018 and they reverse course and, you know, then, the, okay, then COVID and they really reverse course and, you know, now we, we, we went zooming in one direction. Now we're going zooming in the other direction. We've all seen the Myrmican chart. I mean, you know, it, it, it appears yeah. as though the pace of the game has picked up and things things are happening and happening more, you know, more, excuse me, let's turn my phone off here, happening more rapidly. And, and so, um, you know, and, and just the second derivative of a lot of the curves, right? I mean, it's, you know, the, the notion that you can't taper Ponzi, the, the system does require continual new capital 
new credit to be fed into it or else it starts to implode on itself. And that that is a fact and that's a mathematical fact. And so, you know, it, it's happening. It's clearly happening. Guys, my question for you is, um, you, you know, I think one of the things that I struggle with a lot is I, I hear what you guys are saying, but I, I, you know, I try to put that into practice, right, in terms of like how I invest. And, you know, I'm also the operator of a company. And what, what's difficult for me is like there's one very compelling argument, which is kind of in my left ear and says, look, the, the number one directive of the Fed, I know we think the Fed has many different directives, but like really price stability, right? And I do believe that I, I don't think they're looking at this and feeling happy about this. I think uh, Powell certainly feels like this could be his legacy and he's invoking the name of Volcker and all that stuff. And I think they're taking this very seriously and they're they're scared, right? So on the one hand, I could see them saying, look, the party's gone on long enough. We're raising rates. We don't care about the pain, et cetera. And everything starts to reverse. On the other hand, the, you know, the person who's talking the right side of my ear says, well, actually, you know, there are all these these reasons why it's not the same as it was in the 1980s, right? The amount of debt to GDP has just put us in a completely different ball game. The world has already started to implode, you know, when they've hiked rates to like, you know, a small fraction of what Volcker did in the 1980s. And there's just no way, right? We have to figure out a way to get rid of this debt. And the way that they're going to do that is through financial oppression. So what I can't, what's hard for me to, to grok is, you know, do asset prices fall until something that looks like mean reversion, right? On that that chart of either equities or bonds or real estate, which were on this wacky, you know, we're on a pretty wacky part of that chart for basically every major asset class. Or does it basically correct in terms of time and they just print more money and that's how they kind of try to treat the debt and they try to smooth it out that way. Do you, do you see what, like those are the two kind of extremes I, I, I see. Well, I think, and th- this has actually kind of come beca- become consensus now. And so the, the thing I don't like about it is everybody agrees with me on this one. <laughs> so, and, and that is that they're going to hike until something breaks, right? Nice. All right. And, but I, I do think mm-hmm. I do think that they are going to continue to hike. And I think that they are going to continue to hike aggressively unless the market forces them not to. Um, and that could, and I, and I don't know when that will happen. It could happen very soon. Maybe it happens very soon. But, but I, I do not think that they're going to come out, raise seventy-five basis points on Wednesday, and then say we're done for a while. They, I, I, I share that. I, yeah, they they might be done for a while, but I don't think they're going to. I don't think that's what yeah, they. I share that. I, I think, but again, you know, these people have proven they're very fickle, uh, and so I, I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think I think he's going to continue to channel his inner Volcker for a while now. Um, and that it'll be very aggressive. And I mean, they've got to, you know, he, he would lose all credibility now if he reversed. And, and so he's going to go as long as he can. And so I would, I, I would somewhat change that statement to they're going to do it either until something breaks or until they figured out a better, you know, more important political narrative and they decide to shift the direction. Sure. Yeah. Which is to say that they get a few decent inflation prints, unemployment's extremely high. And we talked about this earlier. Powell yeah. says, you know, um, time for me to retire because, you know, uh, Biden's putting a lot of pressure on me and the election's coming up. You know, I'm going to let uh, Brainerd take over and she's an MMT lady. And, you know, and then they go and they go hog wild in the other direction. Yeah. You know, so we, we, we just yeah. don't know what they have planned for us, which is part of what makes this whole thing, this trade, so, you know, this operating this environment just impossible. I mean, it's goddamn impossible. Yeah. But we all just we're doing the best we can. Right? You know, what kind of worries me, actually, is just how effective these policies have actually been for such a long period of time, right? Like you talked about, it's been all smooth sailing roughly since, right, like 2008. But if you go back, you know, Market Wizards, that book that everyone loves to talk about, the Jack Schwager interviews, like 1989, you know, he's doing these interviews and there's a lot of the same stuff, right? The deficit that we're running is unsustainable. It's going to blow up. I mean, it's it's actually just remarkable. It's not just over the last two years, the last 10, they've been really, really successful for the last 40, 40 odd years, right? In papering over really large problems. Um, how long did it take for Rome to fall? You know, I mean, five hundred years. Yeah, I mean, these things get measured in decades. You know, yeah, a long time. Yeah. The, well, the, the other thing I would say is I, I have a lot of you know people right. who when, when they push back on the, the, the dollar just can't go higher. You know, this has gone on for so long; it doesn't make economic sense. It's no longer to the U.S.'s you know benefit to have the global reserve currency. But it always comes kind of come back to the economic numbers, and it just it's just not economic anymore. And, and the, one of the points I like to make is the Soviet Union lasted for seventy five years, and the ruble right along with it. It didn't make sense either. Right. 
but it lasted, right? So, so there's all kinds of things that government and, and typically when, yeah. when, when a yeah. currency starts to lose value in a country, unless the leader of that country gets on a plane and gets the hell out of there and, you know, seeks exile in Switzerland or somewhere, they get more dictatorial, right? They, they, they become more, um, what's the right way to say it? Stringent. And they, 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 they put more onus on the citizens and that's how they, that's how they fight these pressures. And I, I, and so I, I, I would expect this no less yeah, from the U S. I would US. agree, but, Go ahead. I was just going to say the thing that worries me, and this what like um, is actually you know the other word that I would say is they get more administrative, yeah. right? They try to as the, as they sure. find the system that Absolutely. they've built is breaking, they try to step in in more places and control it. Like that, that can be like yeah. nationalization of like financials yeah. or different parts of industry or whatever. I mean, the Soviet Union really took that. They were trying to be central yeah. planners. It just didn't work for their economy. And then it broke very quickly all at once. Um, and that's the thing that I think is very difficult about predicting this kind of stuff. Like trying to, I, I you hear a lot of people say, oh yeah, it'll kind of fade. Sure. And it's like, no, these yeah. are usually step changes. There's a guy, uh, you guys know Simon Mikhailovic, I think, right? Um, yeah. You should listen to his description of uh, like psychologically watching the, the Soviet Union fall. Cause that was a big uh, light bulb for me. It's like, there's kind of this paradox in terms of, you know, a system is unsustainable, but at the same time, you can't imagine it failing. So I don't, I don't know. That's. Um, well, that's why I think, you know, as, as, as much as Brent probably thinks it's going to take some time, I think even he would confess that, you know, there's some possibility that this happens really quickly, <laughs> which oh, yeah. is why, yeah. you know, you don't want to, okay. So you, you want to have some gold in the event it happens. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't want to wait. <laughs> you know, you'd probably like to have it right now because it could happen very quickly. Not saying it will. It could, though. That's why I always I always tell everybody the first two things that if you if you don't have anything right now, the first thing you should get in your portfolio is dollars and gold, because with those, at least with those two things, you can survive in advance. You might not you know, mm -hmm. make a lot of money, but you probably won't get blown out of the game right. either. Yeah, I agree. Guys. Unfortunately, I, we could probably keep talking for another hour or two here, but I know we're, we're running low on time. Uh, you guys put out so much good work. Uh, Brent, Larry, if folks want to uh, follow you, find out more about the work you do, what's the best way to do that? Just Twitter, at Lawrence Lepard. I'm, I'm a big shit poster. So. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. No, but you know, if, for anybody who's kind of new to, 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 to me or to to my theory of the dollar going stronger. If you go to my uh, Twitter feed, my pinned tweet, there's a five minute video that kind of summarizes my thesis, you know, in about as well uh, uh, made, uh, as, as a well-made uh, video as possible. So um, that, that's where I would start. Excellent. All right, guys. Uh, well, thanks so much for making the time. As always, I learned a lot uh, talking to both of you. So I'll have to do it again soon. Thanks, Michael. Good to be with you. Nice to talk to you, Brent. Always happy to talk to you. Okay. Take care, guys. Thanks, Larry.